Pastor Young, uh, would you uh, come up and give us the word of God? Amen. Thanks, Peter, for that. I appreciate that. Do I need to do anything to turn this on? I guess it is already on, huh? You didn't have to endure my singing, did you, during the songs? I hope not, as far as that. Where'd Brother Johnny go? Hey, Brother Johnny, you know what? I have been in the world of rock and roll for 50 years this last January. You know what I mean? Rock of Ages, cleft for me. When the roll was called up yonder, I'll be there. That's my rock and roll. I, did, I got saved 50 years ago uh, this past January. Actually, uh, next week has entered uh, my 50th year of ministry. Actually, I was hired assistant pastor in 1974. For some of you younger people, that's early American history. Um, say, was there a 1974? It, it was, yeah, uh, the 19th century. Uh, but anyway, it's good to be here. What a blessing uh, to be with you dear folks again. I remember some of you um, as far as names and whatnot, but uh, I recall, I recall, uh, I think Kayla needs to get a pair of sneakers. Uh, I still see her walking back and forth in the altar, and, and I'm not sure. I'm waiting one of these times. She just kneels at the altar rather than just walking by it all the time. But anyway, praise the Lord for um, the, uh, the work that young people do and serving in the next generation, serving the Lord. It's so critical in the world in which we live. Uh, my name is Tim Young. That's not real important, but I've had the privilege of endeavoring to serve the Lord for the last several years, as I made mention of it. And uh, to be in a church like this and a service like this is amazing. And let me just say this. I, I've been a few places in life. Uh, I mean, I have been in, you know, spent time in Russia, spent time in India, spent time in Southeast Asia, New Zealand, and whatnot. And then I settled with the IRS and came home uh, I know it's 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, but I thought maybe you'd catch up with that. But anyway, to be together with God's people and hear the singing, most people think that the church is there to make them happy. Most people think uh, that the, the Christian life is supposed to make them happy. Uh, most people think the government was supposed to make people happy. Those are the three institutions that God created, but with those comes responsibility. And it's not until we have the joy of the Lord, not happiness, if you want happiness, that's a punctilier. That's what happens. It, well, that made me happy. Boy, it's Friday. I'm happy. But when you have the joy of the Lord, it doesn't make any difference where you are and what you're doing. Right. Something that's inside. And really, that's really what revival is, is when we get to the place of understanding the world is searching for happiness. And the tragedy, many times we as Christians are seeking to be happy. And we're never really happy. Because happy, happy is the root word of happening you know and the fact is it's got to have something's got to happen but when you're born again of the spirit of god you and i have an opportunity to have the joy of the lord and so the singing the smiles the the applaud all those things uh demonstrates the fact of how important it is to have the relationship with the lord let me just say this and commend the, the your, your dear pastor and his dear family as far as the faithfulness we started a church in 1980 i was 29 years old at the time you can do the math if you want. Um, but uh, the fact is, is that we started in 1980, and um, it really was a commitment. Uh, brother, Aunt, your aunt, brother's name's Andrew, right? He, he belongs to the Bricklayers Union? Okay. Well, I, I went to work laying block and doing flat work and roughing houses and things like that to put peanut butter and jelly on the table to start a church in an area where I grew up that there wasn't any Bible-believing church. I was almost 22 when I got saved. And so praise the Lord, uh, the faithfulness, dedication, commitment, the work. Secondly, uh, let me just say and commend you with the fact of how you care for this building. I've been to Israel a few times, and it's amazing. And of course, as you think of different things concerning the children of Israel, when it came to the Lord's things, it was done right. It was done as we call first class as far as that. Uh, you know, and I, I know that this building was acquired and now remodeling's been done, and I, a, absolutely beautiful. I went down into the, the men's room down in there. Now, you ladies can't go in there, but that thing is really nice. Uh, I mean, it's a class. I was here when it was a uh, broken down garage restroom. I, I don't mean that I'm kind of, you know, but I mean, I'm glad anywhere. It's better than, you know, the, the half moon out back, you know what I mean? Uh, not that there is one, but if there was one. But the fact is, is what a blessing. I think it ought to be done right. I, I, I think that's what the Lord expects of us. 
So praise the Lord for that. If I were in this area, I lived in this area, and I'm from Rochester, Rochester, New York, there's a lady here from Buffalo. If you want to talk about snow, talk to her. Uh, we get a little snow as far as that in comparison, unless we get a northeaster. Now, they get everything off of Lake Erie and so forth, and they get hammered. But uh, it's been a kind of mild winter, actually. We had 70-degree weather in February. But I'm glad to be here. Got down here yesterday. I'll be leaving out Tuesday night after church. I've got to be someplace at noon on Wednesday up in Rochester. And so uh, I stepped down as a pastor of the church that I pastored for many years in, De in December. And so now I work uh, as, you know, some people call evangelists, whatever. I speak out. But uh, one of the main things I'm doing is working with New York State government in Albany, with New York Baptists for Biblical Values, and it's getting people in the pews involved with their legislators by making phone calls. And uh, so I, I've, uh, I've hoped that someday something in, Pe in Pennsylvania would happen as well to make contact because, cons let me just put it this way very quickly. The form of government we have established the fact that this government is for by and, or of, for, and by the people in that. So in other words, the government establishes you being the king of it. Let's say that there was a king. We lived in England, and the king, you know, saw some problem, and the king said, boy, I wish somebody do something about that. Well, in America, the citizens are king. Now, we know that the government thinks that they're king and the people who run for government, but they're supposed to be serving us. We need to take back up that scepter, if you please, and that crown of being the leaders of our, our country. And the way we do that is by making contact, certainly vote, but even more so. But I, I, yet last week I was down in Washington, and Tuesday I walked over five miles in, on the Capitol, and Wednesday, no, yeah, Tuesday and Wednesday I walked over five miles each day in the Capitol meeting with representatives and senators and so forth. Uh, and, but my main responsibility, I think, is local, and that would be New York State. So uh, that's what I'm doing, basically, but traveling. And I'm glad to be here. Good to be with your pastor again and uh, his family, as I made mention. Take your Bibles. Turn to Psalm 119. 119. Psalm 119 has 176 verses in it. We're not going to read the entire psalm this morning, okay? Uh, I have a good friend. He's an attorney, David Gibbs, from the CLA. Some people are familiar with him, but I've been good friends for over 40 years. He was down in one of Lester Roloff's home, which he had homes for boys and girls that were uh, wayward, and he had hundreds of them. Brother Gibbs was down there, and he was doing some legal work for them, and so he had sat down and ate at one of their homes where there were girls. And in that home, uh, as he sat there at eight, he was talking to the girls, and Brother Roloff would have him memorize a lot of scripture. And so Brother Gibbs just challenged one of the girls and said, listen, I'll tell you what. You know, I know you memorize scripture. What we'll do is I'll quote a chapter. I'll quote a chapter of the Bible, and then you quote a chapter of the Bible, and, and uh, we'll see who runs out first. And so Brother Gibbs let the lady go first, the young girl go first. She ended up quoting the 119th Psalm in entirety, 176 verses. Brother really Gibbs says, you win. <laughs> you know, uh, like me, I, you know, John 11.35, Jesus wept. Okay, your turn. Um, and that. But Psalm 176, we're going to look actually at verse 41 down through verse 48. I'll ask you to follow along with me. Preacher, do you normally stand for the reading of scriptures? Okay, let's all stand together, if you would. We're going to read just that segment of the Psalm 119, verse 41 down through verse 48. Please follow along with me as I read aloud, if you would, please. Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto the commandments which I have loved. I will meditate in thy statutes. And let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd help me this morning, the time that we have. Lord, we're talking about revival, but that doesn't happen with the church. It happens with an individual. 
and the church's ex church experience revival because people have turned and uh, resurrected, so to speak, back to life again as they once knew their walk with the Lord and even beyond. So I pray that we might be challenged in our walk with thee. In Christ's name, amen. You may have a seat, please. We need to oftentimes realize that our responsibility as far as growing as Christians lies solely upon ourselves. The purpose of a preacher and the purpose of church is to instruct, to teach, to preach, proclaim the word of God, but it's our responsibility to open our hearts to receive what the word of God has to say to us. Many times people will say, uh, well, I like that preacher, or that preacher is my favorite preacher, or, or well, I like that message. The fact is, is that the purpose of whether, you know, oftentimes when they say a, that a certain person is their favorite preacher, I'll say, when's the last time you heard them? And usually it's not their own individual pastor, you know, they're thinking of somebody else. And I'll say, when's the last time you heard them? And they'll make mention of them. I said, what did he preach on? <laughs> they don't know, but he had some funny stories. You know, and he just, you know, in other words, that's where we're geared off in times rather than saying, oh, Lord, open mine, heart, my, mine eyes that I may receive, you know, obviously that out of, of the word of God here. And so the first thing I want to look at is, and, and again, we have to be careful uh, because uh, in Christianity we expect so much. I remember the story of a fellow that was in an airport and he was, his flight was uh, already had left. He got into an airport late and as a result he had to go down to the service desk and he talked to one of the service reps for that particular airline, but there was a long line. And finally, this one man in front of him got up to that lady that was working behind the counter, and he was unkind to her. He went up and down her like a Venetian blind, you know, complaining, you airlines, you messed up and everything. And she stayed there with a smile on her face and was kind and gracious and everything else and finally got him rerouted. But it wasn't until after he had spent a great deal of uh, energy uh, you know, trashing the airlines, trashing her and who she represented and everything, really unkind. So the man that was behind him got up there and said, ma'am, I am surprised or amazed that you were able to keep your composure and keep a smile on your face and being kind to that individual is so unkind. It was amazing. She said, well, I know something he doesn't know. And I said, well, or the person said, what's that? He said, well, he's flying to Dallas, but I sent his luggage to Portland. <laughs> So I guess you could keep a smile on your face in that situation. <laughs> By way of introduction, there's a few things we need to be mindful of. There is certain something that God wants to give to us. Look, if you will, to verse 41. It says, let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift of God. It's something that is received. The only way you can receive it is with your heart, not with your mind. A prayer won't get you to heaven. And somebody say, well, just pray this prayer. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So a lot of times there's individuals that have prayed a prayer, but there certainly was not new life brought into their life. And what we try to do oftentimes as Christians, try to convince them they're saved because they prayed a prayer. I mean, you're not saved because you prayed a prayer. You're, you're saved because you realized you were lost, condemned, unclean. And your place uh, in, in eternity is, would be in hell were it not for what Jesus Christ did for you and I. He died. I live like a dog. I want to die like a man. And when I heard the gospel when I was 21 years old, almost 22, it was funny. I was asking uh, Kayla how it was, if she's in college yet, and she says, uh, I'm only 15. <laughs> Uh, you know, when you get older, you can't figure out ages as far as that. We were talking, and I, I remember the story of my wife was at a, a pediatrician's office with our son, who's now 44, but he was like six, seven years old, eight years old, and something happened in the waiting room. And so my wife was telling me the story. There was some girl in there that did something or another child. And so my wife said to our son, said, Jack, you know, how old was that girl as she's explaining what happened? And Jack went, oh, uh, early nines, early nines, okay? So she's in her late 15s as far as that, moving towards 16 as I, I'd found out. But you know what? There's a gift that God has for each and every one of us, and that is a free gift that cost him that, as he gave his life on Calvary. So it's not a flippant, easy walk in the park, and I'm not saying that you have to work your way. You can't. Um, uh, for, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm not a bad person. I go to church. I, I, I'm better than some people I know. 
And so the fact is, the key is, is the only way we can know that we're trusting the Lord is, first of all, knowing the Lord as our personal Savior. If you're here this morning, you're like, and, and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior like I was as a young man in a church very similar to this, where somebody stood up and said those similar words, and that morning I walked forward and somebody took a Bible at an altar. Sherman Boudreau took a Bible and showed Tim Young how to receive Christ as his Savior. I'm going to heaven not because of what I do now, but because of what happened that day when I was born into God's family. So it's a matter of receiving that gift. There's something else. When you're saved, you have something in your life the world needs. The world needs. Look at verse 42. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. So in other words, when I receive Christ my Savior, I have a response to the world that may reproach my Christianity about me being saved. The world has, is desiring what we have, but can't have it through a church, through an individual. It's only through Christ that they can have it. And thirdly, by way of introduction, when you are saved, you have something firmly attached to, to firmly attach yourself to. Firmly attach yourself to. Look at verse 47. It says, and I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. That's an attachment. It's not, well, some people are dedicated, some people are not dedicated, and that's somewhat true in Christianity. But once you're born again by the Spirit of God, Jesus is somebody different in your life. And if you weary of that and get tired, you may want to go back, and I'm not saying you, lose, you can't lose your salvation, but the fact is you want to make sure that you are born again. We still have that old nature. But the idea is, is that we always have that new nature that brings us back. How many here are married? Okay. Some of you had to think about that. Um, don't raise your hand. How many, sit on your hand. How many have ever had a disagreement with your spouse? Don't raise your hand. Okay, okay. somebody raised their hand. Uh, hope his wife didn't see it. But anyway, uh, but the fact is, is we have disagreements. But that doesn't negate our love for the person. It just shows that our flesh can stand up every once in a while. Do you ever think about what it is you have a disagreement about? Sometimes it has nothing to do with eternity. It has to do with our comfort. Now, me personally, I think the man should always have the last piece of pie. I mean, it should just be a given. It's got to be in here someplace. You know, I mean, to think about the things we argue about is a tragedy, but the idea is, is when we realize that what we have loved... Now, I, I'm, we'll be celebrating our 49th anniversary in May, May 4th, 49 years. And um, <laughs> amen, amen. And I, I got something that's even more amazing. My wife is celebrating her 49th anniversary in May. That's, a, that's amazing. That's a miracle, okay? Um, now, the thing is, is we have never had a disagreement. Now, that's not true. Um, <laughs> I remember a preacher was in a meeting one time, and he stood up and he said, my wife and I have been married 25 years, and we've never had a, uh, a crossword with one another. We've never had a fight. And I remember Brother Jim Vineyard, you may not know him, but he was former Special Forces in the early 60s, spent two years in Laos, but he's kind of a rough character. I mean, he can kill you 57 different ways with just one thumb, you know, kind of guy. Um, but he was up in years, and, and he, he preached after this guy. And the guy said, 25 years, we've never had disagreement. Brother Vineyard got up and said, well, bless God. He was from Texas, Panhandle. He said, well, bless God. He said, my wife and I are having a fight when I left. When we get back, we'll finish it up. You know, he's, so, you know, I mean, whatever it is, but the fact is, it's not a matter of questioning his love for somebody. And it's the same thing with the Lord. We don't always please him. And what brings us back is our love. And we see him as he is. That's important. How can I know I'm trusting the Lord. How can I know I'm trusting the Lord? The first thing is this. Look at verse 43. It says, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgment. Hoped. We hope in something, and therefore we're waiting for the end result of what we're promised. We have hope. Christ in you. The hope of going to heaven someday. We hope, we've loved, or we have that hope, as the Bible says. I have hope. Um, how do you wait for the Lord? What word is in your mouth when you wait for the Lord's timing in something? Is it doubt? Is it bitterness? Is it angry? It's waiting on the Lord when we think about it. 
Waiting is an amazing word because we want to strip our gears in doing something, and we may have to wait on the Lord of what he's doing and waiting. Do you have an unsaved loved one? Do you have somebody that's backslidden? Do you have somebody you'd like to get saved? Well, certainly continue to play, but you pray, but you may have to wait on the Lord. And you don't wait and turn bitter and angry and displeased with his timing. His timing is perfect in every situation. And so here it's talking about, I've hoped, obviously, here in thy judgment. So it's a matter of depending on that situation. What would you be saying if you were like Noah pounding nails, 120 years of preacher of righteousness, and knowing that the judgment of God was going to come upon the earth? 120 years is a long time. My mother will be 102 in November. She lives by herself. She still has a driver's license. I won't ride with her. Um, I'm still afraid of her. Tim, don't forget to put your galoshes on. Do you have a hat? To where? You know, I mean, the whole nine yards as far as that. A mama is always a mama. 102. She's on Facebook. I'm not even on Facebook. <laughs> so, I mean, it's amazing. And she does it to make contact with her family because obviously with all the grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren whatnot, but she's, uh, she does well, uh, goes to church and whatnot. But she'll be 102 in November and that. But 120 years, Noah's pounding nails. Sometimes we get frustrated when we're doing something and blame it on the Lord because we're not a, we don't have the ability to wait on him. How many have children? How many have smaller children? How many of you that have children, remember when they were four, five, seven, or eight years old, okay, that said, are we there yet? How much farther? When are we going to get there? How long? Isn't that something? They just can't, they're, they're, we're teaching them to wait. You know, I taught our children to, to be able to sit in church quietly. What I did, a lot of times they bring them in from, you know, the nurseries or whatever, or they're throwing blocks at one another and, you know, arm wrestling the nursery workers or whatever they do down there. I have no idea. But um, the thing is, is what I would do is at the couch, I'd have them sit with, with me on the couch, and we'd start out when they were just like four years old. I'd have them sit there for 10 seconds. So I want you to sit there, fold your hands, sit there and sit with them. And we'd work up to a few minutes, five minutes. And what it was, it got them used to it. <laughs> you got somebody that likes climbing and everything and running and everything else, but sit there. So we give him candy until his teeth run out of his mouth. They give him coloring books until he starts writing on the pew and, you know, and everything else. And I'm not against some of those things we do to keep, keep them you know, uh, entertained, so to speak, but sometimes it's a matter of help train them to wait on something. It's important. So we have to wait on the Lord. Joseph was another example. Can you imagine Joseph while he's caught in prison bars there in Egypt? Waiting for the Lord's perfect timing. So how we wait on the Lord is certainly demonstrates whether we're truly trusting him. I don't mean for salvation. I mean living our Christian life where we're living trusting him and what he's doing. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, I, I never took naps when I was a kid because I was afraid I was going to miss something. You like that? I mean, my motor's always running uh, in that way. But the fact is, I have to be careful because that's where my anticipation of the Lord doing something. You know, well, Lord, I don't understand. It only makes sense. It's only logical. But that's where we learn to trust him. So the question this morning, are you truly trusting the Lord? You think of Noah building that ark, 120 years. You think of Joseph. He's in prison in, for two years in Egypt. Imagine counting the bars in that prison, you know, wondering what the Lord's doing, having been sold as a slave by his own brothers. David, um, obviously, uh, as he was down in the Valley of Elah, where he was looking for stones for Goliath, you know, uh, as far as that. I remember a fella that um, uh, went there. I have not been there where David killed Goliath, but the fact is, is that uh, there's stones everywhere, this preacher told me. And he said, people come down and they find out that's the place where David picked up the smooth stones and killed Goliath with. And so people that are um, tourists come in and they pick up stones to take with them because that's... And he said, wow, you know, with all the thousands of people and millions of people coming through Israel, you know, seeing the Holy Land and coming here and everything else, I mean, these stones. They said, well, every night they, they take 10-wheelers and bring them in there and dump stones you know, all over the place. So there'd be stones for people to take home to America or wherever they went uh, in that way. But the patience that David had. How about Job scraping the scales uh, and scabs from his body? 
wondering what the Lord was doing. He was trusting the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, he said. So how do we know whether we're trusting the Lord? Sometimes it's a matter of how we wait. Um, in Isaiah, the 40th chapter, verse 31, you don't need to turn there, but it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's a strengthening thing when we wait on the Lord. Now, the first thing, obviously, is this matter of our waiting, and the second thing is a matter of our walk. Look, if you will, to verse 44 in our text portion of Scripture. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. So when you get to the place of understanding you're waiting on the Lord, the thing is that it should affect the way you live your Christianity or live your life. He said, I will walk at liberty. See, many times people think that Christianity is a confining thing. Something is restricted. Something that is difficult. Something you put these big do's and don'ts on your backpack and you walk around with this heavy burden saying, well, I'm a Christian and I can't do that and I'm supposed to do this. You know, why do you go to church over all the time? Well, I'm supposed to. That's the wrong answer. I want to. <laughs> I want to be there. That's the way we walk, because we're waiting on the Lord, and the fact is, it gives us liberty. Liberty is not a restricting thing. Well, I don't know, you know, going to church all the time or reading my Bible. Let's go back to those first things. We have to receive that gift, and there's a change of heart. You might get backslidden, but you don't live there as a believer. You're not worried. Somebody says, well, I got saved when I was 15, I backslid until I was 45, and then I, I got right with the Lord. No, you probably got saved at 45. <laughs> Because you can't live there. A lot of times people are just, and I'm not saying how, what the time frame is. You can be backslidden, but think about it. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. When I was growing up, there were five kids in the family. Do you know if one of us got a whooping, it kind of straightened us all out. We all kind of behaved ourselves for a while because we didn't want the same. So whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He gives us a spanking. He corrects us kind of gets us right. So we can't live indefinitely with the idea, well, I'm a backslid and I believe, I'm a believer and I got saved back. But we can't live there. You know, if I got in trouble with a neighborhood kid or whatever, the neighborhood, the neighborhood kid's father didn't whoop me because I didn't belong to him. <laughs> and you may do the same thing the world does as a Christian, but the fact is you'll get a whooping and the world won't because they don't belong to him. Now, there's consequences to everything we do, there's no doubt, but when it comes to our Heavenly Father, so our walk is critical in that. Waiting is not to be a time of doing nothing. It's a matter of being busy, our walk, and that's why he says in verse 45, he says, and I will walk at liberty. So the idea is, is that we're doing something if we're trusting the Lord. Um, waiting is aggressive cooperation with God's will at the point that I know it. I know God's will for my life in that way. I'm thinking of a fella that was, uh, as, as the story goes, and you perhaps have heard it, um, there was a Christian man. His name uh, was Jed, and he's uh, sitting on his front porch, and he sees his neighbor, Ned. Jed and Ned, okay? Don't get them confused, okay? And so Ned is walking this mule down the road, this dirt road past his house. And Jed said, Ned, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going down into town. He said, and I've got this mule, and I'm going to sell this mule to this fella. And uh, Jed said, well, what you ought to say, Jed being a Christian, the other fellow not, he said, what you ought to say, if the Lord's will, you're going down into town and selling the mule. And Ned says, the Lord's will has nothing to do with it. We've already talked. I've already agreed with him. He already knows what he's going to pay me, and I'm going to meet him at a certain time, so I'll take care of well, the fellow disappeared over the next rise and with a mule, and Jed sits on his front porch, and all of a sudden, maybe an hour later, here comes Ned. He's walking up the road. His clothes are tore up. He's limping along and everything. He's having a hard time, and mule's gone and everything. And Jed said, Ned, what would happen? He said, well, I just got over the hill over there, and some dog came out from a house and started barking at mule. That stupid mule kicked the fire out of me and about killed me and took off and I can't find it. And so Jed said, well, Ned, what are you going to do now? He said, well, he said, I'm going to go home if the Lord wills. 
It was amazing how we can come up to speed sometimes in what we should. So that walk is really important the way we live. All of us have things in our life we'd like to uh, you know, move out of the way, but it may be what God has for us. When I went to Bible college, I worked at a steel mill. We made the M60 Army tank, the mill and foundry, and I worked from 11 o'clock at night till 7 in the morning, and I went to school from 8 o'clock till usually 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. That's, how bad, that's why I look as bad as I do. I did that for three and a half years. It was a four-year pr program, but I, I, I was built for speed, not accuracy, you know. But uh, so I had to get through, and I was married. We had family, and I was working. And the thing is, I could complain all I wanted to. Oh, you don't know how hard this is, and I'm tired all the time. And Lord's a that's something the Lord put me through. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Stop complaining about everything. You know, God wants to use everything. How many have ever failed a test? It's at school, okay. You failed a test at school. I spent the best three years of my life in the third grade. Uh, not really. But anyway, we failed a test. But we had teachers that oftentimes would give you the same test the next day. Anybody ever have that happen? You walk in the next day and say, man, I'm glad that test's over from yesterday. And all of a sudden they said, okay, take out a pen, put your books away. We're going to take that test again. What? You didn't tell us that we were supposed to take the test. And so you take the test. And the whole idea was you knew how well you did, how poorly you did. And when you went home, you didn't think about finding out what the real answers were. You just complained about it. And the thing is, is so you get the same grade you did the day before because we failed the test. So God allows us. So our waiting on the Lord affects the way we walk in our Christianity. And if we're not careful... We are going to evaluate his will by whether we're happy or not happy or whether it's exactly what we thought. So those years when I went, we started the church, I, like I said, I worked construction, um, you know, it, it, flat work and block and brick. And actually the guy's company, he also had a garbage route that I worked on. Now that garbage route was not a packer at that time. This goes back a few years, the last century. Okay. Um, and the thing is, is we had metal cans, and the thing is, is you had to take the metal cans, put it over the side of the truck, and bang it on the side of the truck. And if those, those uh, carrot peels or banana, or I mean uh, potato peels or whatever didn't come out of there, you had to reach down there, with, not with your bare hand, but usually with a, uh, we called it a hand shoe, a glove, and take those things out, and you collect garbage. And I was, I was a pastor in the area. But you know what? The thing is, is it was just something God was allowing me to go through to make me better. Do you ever consider the fact, if you're following God's will, there's things that we would not choose for ourselves, but God may choose them for us? Because he does something with that. Now, I'm not talking about when we do wrong and we pay the price for wrong. I'm talking about, Lord, what is it you'd have me to do? And the thing is, it may be something that's difficult. Other people would say, ah, there's no way I would do that. But you have to figure out, and that's where our walk would be affected by that. I will walk at liberty. Here he's saying not walk as though uh, confined or restricted, but at liberty. Only the person walking in the Lord will know freedom. So there's the weight, there's the walk that we have when it comes to that. And then thirdly, there's the, the matter of witnessing. Look, if you will, at verse 46. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. How can I know I'm trusting the Lord? First of all, I'm waiting on the Lord, whatever he has. What else am I doing? I'm walking, whatever he has for me to do. I'm going to live that life he has for me. And then the witness, not ashamed to bear the news of Jesus Christ. I'm glad somebody shared it with me. I mean, if I died today, I know I'd go to heaven, not based on what I, what I do presently, but the fact is way back yonder, I was born into God's family. It's eternal life. I'm going to heaven one day. And so I think it's important for us to realize that our witness is so critical, so important. This verse reminds us of Daniel when he said, uh, when he prayed daily and they said, you're not supposed to pray. When he went in the lion's den, how about the Hebrew children and said, be it known unto thee, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to serve God. They were not ashamed of him or somebody else. Joseph, the same way. Esther, for such a time as this, come to the kingdom. It's a matter of when you know you're trusting the Lord, you're not ashamed to give a testimony of who you belong to. You're a Christian. 
People may make fun of it. They may laugh at it. But the fact is, it's a demonstration that you're really trusting the Lord with your life. So a lot of people say, I'm trusting the Lord, but they navigate their own life. And we can always say, well, I'm trusting the Lord. But these things would be evident that you wait on the Lord. Obviously, your walk would demonstrate that you're with the Lord. You're witnessing. You're, you're testifying about the Lord. That's what gospel tracts are all about. Say, well, here, here, take time and read this. It'll tell you what I, what I am. So it's a matter of our witness that's so important. Each of them in their own situation, these individuals. Your life should be a testimony of being a witness for Jesus. It demonstrates who you're trusting. You know, many times Christians spend their life complaining about things, government and the system and schools and everything else. Rather than realizing we're supposed to be trusting the Lord and then being active in our walk towards being citizens of this country. See, as I mentioned earlier, there's three institutions. And each one of those institutions has a responsibility. The family, back in Genesis. Government, back in Genesis. And then the church or the assembly. Those all three have a responsibility. Obviously, marriage, in this matter of rearing kids for the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The very fact of government is the purpose. They have the sword, Romans the 13th chapter, to protect so that we can live our Christianity. That's their responsibility, not to run our Christianity. And the church has a responsibility to get the gospel out. And so there's a matter of accountability at the end of the road. Stand before the Lord. So our motivation ought to certainly be the Lord. The fourth and last thing is this, the way we worship the Lord is important. And look, if you will, to verse 47. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and will meditate in thy statutes. So here's talking about the way we worship. When we worship the Lord, it's demonstrated in our lives. Now, more people get excited, or even Christians get more excited about the NFL, or they get more excited about a program, or more excited about fishing, or more excited about something they enjoy doing than they really do about the Lord. That's a real tragedy. Now, I went to school before I got saved for phys ed, for, to be a gym teacher. I mean, I love sports. I played three sports in college. I like sports. But they pale in my love for the Lord. I mean, I still play sports. I play more of them from here up. Okay? <laughs> I know what my body's supposed to do, but it doesn't ever get there. You know what I mean? Uh, you were supposed to be over there. Um, but the idea is, is, is that we should not allow anything in our life being more important than our relationship with the Lord because that will affect on how we live our lives. Our faithfulness to church, our faithfulness in ministry, our faithfulness. Gospel light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works or good walk, that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. That's what we're supposed to do. It's not about saying, well, that doesn't make me happy. It, you're not going to find what makes you happy. You can find these people that are, are filthy rich. We call it filthy. I'm not sure it's really, <laughs> unless it's dirty money, okay? Uh, but they're, they have more money than, than, than you shake a stick at. Boy, we'd love to be like that. Some of their lives are so messed up. I mean, you imagine being addicted at that, that age and being controlled by a substance or whatever. Here they got the money to do all these things. I wouldn't do that if I was them. Oh, really? You can't believe what you'd actually be willing to do, given the opportunity. So the Lord will avail us of all the things that maybe he can use in our lives, but the fact is, is what we need to do is thank the Lord where we are and be content with that. And what it talks about is this matter of worship. Look what it says in verse 48. My hands also will I lift up. You ever notice, and maybe you noticed here, when somebody's singing a song here at some point, there's glory to God as far as that. Um, I mean, they're, they're praising the Lord. You know, the Jews lifted their hands when they were glorifying God. Do you know that the international symbol for surrender is this? <laughs> And the, the, the spiritual uh, image is I surrender to the Lord or praise the Lord, elevate him as far as that. Now, I think we ought to be excited, but if you're not excited, but when you go out those doors and live your life, then you didn't worship the Lord here. You just got happy about something. 
thank the Lord for great singing. But if there was not great singing here, there was no instruments as far as that. When we started a church, we didn't have a piano player for two and a half years, and I led the singing. People did not come for the singing in our church. I promise you. The only, knew, only thing I knew about singing a, a particular song higher was this. Or lower was this. That's all I know about higher and lower as far as out of the scale as far as that. I mean, nobody wanted to get to the preaching more than I did. But you know what, God, it's, but the thing is, we still praise the Lord, still get happy. We don't have to have the music. We can just think about our God. And there it's talking about what are the things that demonstrate the fact that we are truly trusting the Lord. My question to you and our question, you got a question yourself, am I truly trusting the Lord in my life? It'll be affected by your waiting on the Lord. It'll be affected by the, you waiting and walking on the Lord and your walk in your Christian life and your life in this world and your witness, your testimony. Now, I'm not against bumper stickers, turn or burn, you know, honk if you love Jesus. It's just that sometimes the way I drive, I don't want anybody to know, you know what I mean? Uh, as far as that, you know. I was one of them crazy people, you know, they drive like idiots, you know. Uh, but the thing is, is they ought to know that we're a Christian by our behavior. You know, even being kind to people, being friendly to people. You know, I gave a gospel tract to the, uh, the, the lady at the motel. The thing is, is that, you know, it took a minute, and as we were, you know, talking, and this morning I had asked a question about something, I said, I, I apologize, I said, they're still trying to drag me into the 21st century as far as, you know, electronics and stuff like that. Uh, but the thing is, open, in fact, she was there last night when I checked in, and she was there this morning. You know, at about, I think it was maybe 6.30 or 7 o'clock when I went down. And the thing is, is that, you have a twin or something? And she says, no, no, she said, I left last night, and I probably got... I less sleep than you did last night. I'm back in here like that. I don't know what the situation is. I said, well, my hat's off to you if I had one. But the thing is, is that, I mean, it's an opportunity. I don't know if she knows the Lord, but I want to at least have my walk. You know, like last night, you know, the confusion. Wait a minute, what's wrong with this place? That's, even Christians act that way. So the world should be able to see us in our worship for the Lord ought to be something. I remember a preacher <laughs> one time he was out praying in the woods one time, and it was in a park near Watkins Glen. They, used to, they have a motor race there place, but it was in that area of Watkins Glen, New York. And so he was out there, and he was talking to the Lord. He was talking out loud. He's so good. You know, and he was praying out loud and everything else. <laughs> he said all of a sudden he looked over, and there's some guy, you know, <laughs> you know, with his eyes about that big around, wondering who, who's this guy running around the woods <laughs> screaming out loud. I'm not necessarily saying you have to do it that way, but we should never be ashamed of who we belong to. In that. It's a matter of trusting the Lord. And he asked us to do something. A man one time was lost in the desert. He'd wandered around for a good period of time and he was certainly dying of thirst. He finally ventured on a, upon a cabin and he thought, well, if there was a cabin there, probably there's a water source there. He walked around the backside of the cabin and sure enough, there was a pump there, an old pump, hand pump. And there at the base of that hand pump, there was a jug and in that jug was water. And there was a note on that jug, and it says, uh, if you take the contents of this jug, this water, and pour it down the pump to prime it. Now, some of us go back to that area where you prime the pump. That's where that comes from. Pour that contents down that pump and start pumping. You'll get all the water you want. And so the fellow looked at it, and he's got water in his hand. But he's saying you have to pour it down the pump to prime it. He's thinking... Wow, if I pour that down there, I, don't, I won't have any water in my hand. And at the bottom, scratched on it by some piece of charcoal or something, was a note that somebody else had written that says, it really works. <laughs> and the thing is, is I'm just telling you, it really works when you're trusting the Lord. Revival is when you and I come to that place of truly trusting the Lord in every aspect of our life. Our, our direction, our faithfulness, our commitment. It's an element of, do you, do you really trust the Lord? That's the key. Let's all stand together and bow our heads forward a prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. There's perhaps somebody here that has never received Christ as their personal Savior. It'd be a tragedy 
for them to leave this room without knowing Christ as their personal Savior. It's a gift going to heaven, but it has to be received sincerely. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And Lord, there's Christians here, believers here, that they've lived their life and they've basically done those things that they feel is best in their life rather than maybe trusting the Lord in it, being obedient. And Lord, even it affects our worship. Help us to learn to wait on you. Help us to walk in that belief and trust. Help us to witness to other people because of who it is that we trust. And Lord, help us to worship thee as you summon us to worship. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking about. You're here this morning. You don't know for sure if you'd go to heaven if you died right now. This morning, you should trust Christ as your Savior. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around. You say, Brother Young, I am a Christian. I know I've trusted Christ as my Savior. There's not a doubt in my mind. If I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you slip your hand up as a testimony to the Lord saying, I have trusted Christ as my Savior. I know I'm on my way to heaven. Is that your testimony? You can put your hands down. If you were here this morning, I didn't look. But if you are this morning, you couldn't raise your hand with the confidence of saying, I know if I died, I'd go to heaven. If I died. This morning, before it's eternally too late, you ought to come trust Christ as your Savior when the opportunity is given. As a believer, my question is, are you really trusting the Lord when you think of it in this context, in this portion of Scripture. As the instrument plays a hymn of invitation, the altar is yours, Christian. Maybe bend a knee and say, Lord, I've truly not been trusting you as I should in many areas of my life. You come as she plays. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven. You come. Their pastor will have somebody take a Bible and show you how to trust Christ. This is an invitation to invite you, whatever your need with the Lord is. If you're not saved, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you have the courage and faith to come down and say, I need to get saved? You could raise your hand right where you're sitting right now. Say, Pastor, I need to get saved. Anybody like that? You're here today, the Lord spoke to your heart. He pointed you out and said, you're not saved. You don't belong to me, but I want you to belong to me. I want to take you as my own. I want to take you as my child. Anybody like that? The Lord spoke to you. He wants to save you. He called on you. He's calling you. He's knocking on your heart, saying, come. Come. Come unto me. Come ye. Maybe you're here today and you... Want to get closer to the Lord again? You want revival. The altar is open. Maybe you need revival in, in an area of your life. Maybe not all of it. Maybe just a small area. Maybe your Bible reading or your prayer life or your uh, marriage or your home or your family. You say, Pastor, I need help. I do need help. Will the Lord help me? He sure will. He says, come. He'll give you the help you need. Still people praying. May the Lord speak to you right where you're at. Meditate on the words that were preached. Don't leave here till you get the help you need. Christ is the great physician. You need healing today, he'll heal you. He knows who you are and what you need.
only trust him. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Young, for that message that God's laid on your heart. Amen. For Gospel Aid Baptist Church. Amen. Thank you for that. Praise the Lord. And uh, I'm going to close this in prayer and also ask the Lord's blessing on the food. We have uh, food and fellowship downstairs. If, you, if you're able to, please stay and join us for some good food and fellowship downstairs. If you're not able to, uh, praise the Lord um, for you being here today. Please, if you're able to, make it tomorrow night at 7, 7 o'clock tomorrow. Don't worry about dinner. We have food after service as well tomorrow. So just come, come, come right from work. You say, do I have to get dressed up? Just come. I always tell this to the people. Wear your best and do your best for the Lord. That's all. Whatever your best is, people say, oh, just come as you are. No, no, no. You need to give God your best. We don't need to come uh, as we want to. Give God your best. And whatever that best is. Praise God. Amen. I could wear a suit, but it might not be my best. Right? And so forth. We all need to do our best for the Lord. So do your best for God. Amen. Come in your work clothes. That's your best. Amen. Do your best. Do your best for the Lord. He's worthy. And when you do your best for him, he'll certainly give you his best. And amen. I want that. I want that. Amen. I want the Lord to do, to reach down and say, hey, I got something for you. And so... Amen. Be here at 7 o'clock tomorrow, Tuesday at 7. If you can't make tomorrow, please make it here Tuesday. And, uh, but if you can't make all of them, God will do certainly a work in your life. I'm going to pray. Uh, please welcome our visitors. Greet each other. Amen. Put a smile on your face. Make that joy uh, of the Lord come out. And uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you, Father, for the message. Lord, help our walk, Lord. Lord, uh, in our way. And Lord, our worship to be right with you. And Father, all we do. I pray, Lord, that it would be pleasing and honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do. Lord, I pray that you would um, just bless us here, Father, and everybody who came. Lord, may you put a special blessing on them, Lord. Father, we dedicated our time to you. The first day of the week is Sunday. It's not the weekend, Lord. It's the first day of the week. And we gave it to you. We dedicated it to you, Lord. And you said we give you our first. Lord, you'll bless it. You'll bless the following days, Father. You'll, you'll bless, Lord, what we give to you and multiply it. And I pray you would. Lord, I pray everybody in here, Lord, was blessed. I pray they'll leave blessed. I pray that the, our homes, our minds, our hearts, give us a, still, a stillness, Lord, and a rest in our soul, Father, and make our days uh, sweeter and sweeter as they go by. I pray, Lord, you'll deliver us from trials and troubles and temptations, Lord, as we uh, keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you bless the food. Uh, downstairs and all those who uh, work diligently in preparing, Father, over the week. I pray, Lord, you'll bless the fellowship as well. And may, Lord, you'll comfort us as we walk with you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. We'll see you uh, downstairs. <laughs>